As we commemorate Christ's ascension this evening, we find our text in Psalm 47. But before we turn to Psalm 47, I'd like to read from Acts chapter 1, the account of Christ's ascension. Acts 1, the first 11 verses. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. We turn now to Psalm 47. where we have one of the prophetic announcements of Christ's ascension, especially in verse 5. Psalm 47, O clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob whom he loved. God is gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. 
God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. I call your attention this evening to Psalm 47, verse 5. God is gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you commemorate Christ's ascension with the same joy with which you commemorate Christmas? His incarnation. Psalm 47 is a call to praise. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph is the call with which this psalm begins. It's a brief psalm, but the call to praise is fervent. Verses 6 and 7, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises unto our King, sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth, sing ye praises with understanding. To commemorate Christ's ascension with understanding is to sing praises to our God. And the reason for that call to praise is summarized in verse 5, the text that we consider this evening. God is gone up with a shout. The Lord, Jehovah, with the sound of a trumpet. By faith, we remember Christ's ascension as a triumphant and glorious event an event with tremendous significance for us who believe. We rejoice in Christ's ascension. We lift up voices of praise in in commemoration of his resurrection from the dead, especially because that's the proof of our justification. God's amen to Jesus' words spoken at the cross, it is finished. But the ascension calls us to stand before God, before the one who has claimed his rightful crown and who now rules over all things for our sakes and for our salvation. But now we have to see how Psalm 47 verse 5 testifies to that truth. After all, Christ's ascension is a New Testament event. What does this verse have to do with Christ's ascension? It's my privilege this evening to demonstrate that to you as we hear the gospel proclamation. God is gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. So I take the first four words of the text as my theme tonight. God is gone up. Exclamation mark as prefigured in the Ark of the Covenant. Secondly, as fulfilled in Christ's ascension. And finally, to the joy of the church. God is gone up, as prefigured in the Ark of the Covenant, 
as fulfilled in Christ's ascension and to the joy of the church. We begin tonight by considering the history of this psalm and therefore the event that came to expression in that cry, God has gone up. That history involves the Ark of the Covenant, one of the most glorious furnishings in the Old Testament history and a glorious symbol of the gospel of our salvation. The Ark of the Covenant was the symbol of God's presence with his people. We're not talking now, boys and girls, about Noah's Ark, are we? We're talking about the Ark of the Covenant which was a wooden chest, which looking at the end measured about two feet square, and it was not quite four feet in length. It was the only piece of furniture in the most holy place of the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant was a wooden chest overlaid with pure gold. Inside that ark, to use now the description of Hebrews 9 verses 4 and 5, was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, that is the two tables of the law, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat. That mercy seat or atonement cover was a golden slab that covered the ark upon which the priests would sprinkle the blood of atonement. And those cherubim referred to were figures hammered out of pure gold which stood at the end of the atonement cover, both ends, looking down with reverence with their wings covering the mercy seat. That was the Ark of the Covenant. When God gave instruction to Moses concerning the building of that Ark, he said in Exodus 25, verse 22, And there I will meet with thee and commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Now I want you to reflect upon this for a moment. This is the infinite, transcendent God, not bound by time or space, exalted above all that is called creature. In the psalm that we are considering, we confess of him in verse 2, the Lord most high is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. And that was something that the Ark of the Covenant expressed too. Not only was that the case in the cherubim with their bowed heads and wings extending over the mercy seat. But on each side of that ark 
there were two golden rings, one on each end, and through those rings were extended two poles, wooden poles, overlaid with gold, one on each side, by which that ark was to be carried. You know why that was? The priests were to carry the ark that way at shoulder height as a king would have been carried above his people. The great king over all the earth would commune with his people from above the mercy seat. He says there in the Ark of the Covenant, I will meet with you and I will commune with you. You realize that he's speaking to people like us? Sinful people? who have offended him repeatedly? How could the Holy One commune, have fellowship with such a people? When scripture reveals that God cannot have fellowship with the unrighteous, and the wicked his soul hateth, how is it possible that the Holy One communes with such sinners in the Ark of the Covenant. You sense, don't you, that the answer has to do with that mercy seat, the atonement cover of the Ark. There the priests were called to, to sprinkle the blood of atonement for the people of God, the blood which would wash away the sins of God's people and turn away the wrath of God from his people. Now you realize the blood of bulls and goats could not do that, could not turn God's wrath away from the children of Israel. Not even lamb's blood could do that, though lamb's blood spread upon the doorposts of the children of Israel saw the angel of Jehovah, uh, the angel of death, pass over them in Egypt. But that lamb, you understand, represented the lamb of God who would come to remove our sins and reconcile us unto God. So with the blood sprinkled upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, Christ was present there in the types and shadows and symbols of the Old Testament economy of salvation. And that is confirmed in Hebrews 9, verses 11 and 12. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. 
And so we are reminded of the significance of that Ark of the Covenant for the children of God in the Old Testament. It pointed them to their Messiah, in whom alone is our salvation and through whom alone the Holy One meets with us and has communion with us. But prior to the writing of this psalm, that Ark of the Covenant had been through quite a history. Prior to David, there had been a period of time in Israel's history where there had been such a great departure from God and his word that the people lost the gospel message in that Ark. They were not looking anymore for the promised Messiah, but they gave themselves to the pursuit of the world's pleasures and the idolatry of the nations round about them. In their conflict with the Philistines, they viewed the ark as some superstitious object that would ward off evil that might help them overcome their enemies. So during the time when the notorious sons of Eli, wicked Hophni and Phinehas, had corrupted the priesthood and defiled everything pertaining to the holy worship of Jehovah, it was decided that they should take the ark to the battlefield as some sort of good luck charm. God was not mocked. Not only were the Israelites scattered, with more than 30,000 killed in battle, including Hophni and Phinehas, but the Ark of the Covenant was taken captive by the Philistine army. The glory of God had departed from Israel. The Philistines stuck that Ark in the temple of their idol god, Dagon. But God has no fellowship with the wicked. His judgments rested heavily upon the Philistines. And after seven months, they put that ark on an ox cart and sent it back to Israel. The men of Beth Shemesh treated that ark as a curiosity having no regard for the Messiah through whom alone they could have fellowship with the holy and righteous God. And God smote of the people 50,070 men. Not coming to repentance, the men of Beth Shemesh would simply rid themselves of the ark. So they passed it on to the men of Kirjath-Jearim where it sat in the house of Abinadab for 20 years. It wasn't until David became king after the death of Saul that he sought to bring the ark back to its rightful place in Jerusalem. The heart of the tabernacle, after all, was found in that ark, where Christ alone opened the way for communion between God and his people, 
but the failure to acknowledge the glory of the Holy One of Israel, King of kings and Lord of lords, the transport of that ark upon an ox cart, rather than carried high above the shoulders of the Levites, lifted high above the people, resulted in the death of Uzzah. And so we read in 2 Samuel 6, verse 9, And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? It would come only in the way appointed by God. By the coming of that promised Messiah, who alone could enter the presence of God, being God himself. But it took another three months for David to see that. But having received the kingdom and having had his throne established on the hill of Zion, David understood that his kingdom had to be established in the everlasting kingdom of the seed that God had promised. And therefore that promise, which centered in the Ark of the Covenant, and the fellowship of Jehovah through the shed blood of the Lamb must come to expression in that ark taking its proper place in the tabernacle on Mount Zion and the most holy place of that tabernacle. So it was with rejoicing that David saw the ark of God was properly carried from the house of Obed-Edom up to the city of David. Psalm 47 was written by David to commemorate that glorious event. The ascension of the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem where it rested in the tabernacle on Mount Zion. 1 Chronicles 15 verse 28 tells us of that event Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the cornet and with trumpets and with cymbals, making a noise with psaltery and harps. How much did the children of Israel understand about the significance of that event? While we are unable to put ourselves in their shoes on that day, we may certainly say that some of them, being spiritually minded and longing for fellowship with their Redeemer, understood that great event to unveil the restoration of Jehovah's fellowship with them. They understood that the priest entering that most holy place with the blood of atonement, revealed the cleansing of their sins and the unfolding of the covenant promises of Jehovah and Jehovah's communing with them as the King of kings and Lord of lords. What joy that brought them. Commemorating this glorious event, David wrote 
this psalm and the text that we consider. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord, Jehovah, with the sound of a trumpet. But we would fail to understand this psalm if we only focused on the historical event of the ascension of the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, the city of God. There is a prophetic element to this psalm. As is often the case with the psalms in the Old Testament, there's a prophetic element that comes to fulfillment in Christ's ascension. As the Ark of the Covenant represented Jehovah's presence with his people in and through the Messiah, that he would provide for the realization of his covenant, so the fulfillment would be seen in the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the accomplishment of his divine work in our salvation. In the Old Testament, Jehovah came down to lead his people out of Egypt. He came down to save them as symbolized in the Ark of the Covenant. And by that Ark he led them even through the Jordan River into the Promised Land. By that Ark, or more particularly what was represented by that Ark, Christ came, the mediator of the covenant, to redeem his people, to open the way for communion with the Holy One of Israel, Jehovah of hosts. And so we see typified the beautiful reality of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, descending into our depth who made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8. He did that for sinners like you and me who had been given him from the Father before the foundation of the world. And so to continue in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when we look at Psalm 47, verse 5, understanding that we have here not only the commemoration of an historical event, but the, re, the prophecy of Christ's ascension, we see also that we are given in the words of this text a clear testimony of the truth of Christ's deity. God is gone up with a shout. The Lord, Jehovah, with the sound of a trumpet. 
the eternal Son of God, having come to do his Father's will, returns to heaven, having completed the work that his Father gave him to do in the humility of his earthly sojourn. So contemplate what this means. First of all, we stand here before the mystery of godliness. The eternal Son of God condescended not only to visit us on earth, but to cover our sins by his precious blood. Do you realize how great your sins and mine are? He cleansed those sins that caused a breach between us and the Holy One. He came to deliver us from the bondage of corruption that once held us. He entered the battlefield of our earthly existence to fight the powers of sin and darkness, even Satan himself, and having waged War against his and our enemies, he laid them waste. He conquered them completely, entirely. Secondly, having accomplished the victory and having received from his heavenly Father the affirmation of his victory in his resurrection from the dead, our Jesus has gone up with a shout. That's his ascension into heaven. The ascension declares to us his victory. It announces with the sound of triumph that our Christ has accomplished the will of his heavenly Father in securing for us the unending fellowship of his love. As in the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, so now in the fulfillment, Jehovah says to you and to me, I will meet with you. I will commune with you. Yes, with you. You see then that this song Psalm 47 and verse 5 in particular proclaims an event which is to the joy of the church. God is gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. The psalm refers to the shout of the people and scripture includes with them the angelic host besides who are greeting their conquering king. That's evident from the entire context of Psalm 47, going back to the first verse. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. And then listen again to what follows in verses 2 through 4. For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob whom he loved. This psalm 
has not fallen by the wayside. We who commemorate the ascension of our Lord and Savior still sing it. With joyful hearts we praise our exalted King. And the same is seen in heaven. John was given to see it in the visions given him on the island of Patmos. He recorded it for us in Revelation 5, verses 9 through 14. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made unto us, made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power, be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. You see, Christ ascended as the conquering king to claim his rightful throne, now to rule over all things on behalf of his heavenly Father. All is for our sake. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. That means that our salvation is secure in the hands of our exalted king. In the words of 1 Peter 1 verse 5, we are kept by the power of God through faith unto the salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. Yes, we find ourselves in the midst of a spiritual battlefield, and the warfare at times is intense. We can even expect that intensity to increase. But the cause for which we fight is not in doubt. We must never look at the opposition of the devil and his hosts and wonder whether the cause of Christ shall prevail. Christ has the victory. The gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. We serve the exalted Christ 
the one who is king of kings. God is gone up. So in the call to praise him, recorded in this psalm, we are told at the conclusion of the psalm, verses 8 and 9, God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. Are you living in the awareness of that? Are you living in that confidence? Because of Christ's ascension, Because of the fulfillment of that prefigured in the Ark of the Covenant being taken up to the city of God, we may live in the assurance that our Lord is ruling over all things for our sakes. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That's why we join the Apostle Paul in the confession of Romans 8, verses 37 and 30, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In that assurance, we also look to the future. The trumpet shall sound again when our Jesus, who has, descent, who has ascended into heaven, shall come again to receive us unto himself. Matthew 24, verse 31 tells us, and he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. What a blessed future awaits us. The church of the exalted Christ. The Apostle John was given to see that future and recorded it in Revelation 15, verses 2 through 4. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, 
For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Our ascended Lord Jesus assures us of these things by his ascension and his reign at God's right hand. Amen. Gracious Father, we give thanks to thee for the wonder of thy grace in revealing to us our exalted Christ in whom we have fellowship with thee. Father, we thank thee for that gospel and pray that in all the trials and conflicts of this present age, we may live with uplifted heads, looking upon our exalted Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.